Hello, and welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, so today's topic um, was inspired by the Command Zone and especially by Ross O'Connell, uh, who sent us a tweet asking um, if we've considered an ep about how the format has changed in the last three to four years. Has the format accelerated because Wizards pushed it or because players got better? We want to answer that question and sort of dive into some potential solutions. So I, I think both of us agree that the format has accelerated, but we'll talk about why that is and how we could potentially counteract that, how we can decelerate the format. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash theory, you can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Okay, so in recent episodes, uh, Josh and Jimmy from the Command Zone have spent a lot of time talking about how the format has accelerated as newer, efficient cards have replaced older, more expensive ones. Uh, some of the examples they brought up include Anguished Unmaking, replacing Utter End, and Assassin's Trophy, replacing Maelstrom Pulse. Like the, the answers we're seeing and even some of the acceleration we're seeing is just better than what has existed in the past, and it's pushing out those those older, more expensive options. And that kind of changes the nature of the format as a result. And depending on how you view the format, if you came into it because you like Battlecruiser Magic, you like your seven drops, this could be a bad thing. If, if you feel that your big mana strategies aren't really as viable as they once were, and also, it, it could be a bad thing if you really enjoy playing like niche strategies or slower strategies, grindier strategies, and you really aren't able to to do that when the alternative is just like so appealing. When you know you're trying to do your your dirtling with morphs or whatever, and your opponent just has like the best removal and the best resource generation, and they just overwhelm you with card advantage. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about like why this is happening what are some of the causes that we've seen for what what's making this happen what is causing this acceleration one of the big reasons that the formats become accelerated is just that there is so much like widely available information in part because of sources like eda track and like deck sharing deck building platforms that exist that just kind of give raw data on like what people are playing which helps information move more quickly and on top of that like you have podcasts like us and the command zone and other people who are talking about these kind of things like doing deck techs uh talking about individual cards and stuff like that where it used to be people were kind of like rediscovering old gems like desert twister used to be a card that like i remember when i started the format people were like oh do you remember this bad boy <laughs> like this is crazy and then people realize like oh Actually, like these other cards are just so much better at that, and eventually yeah, and got then, like, like Beast, Beast within, within, yeah, and stuff like that. But the old days of Magic, to kind of use that term, were very much like people on individual discoveries, figuring stuff out, and then like maybe you'd go to a card shop and hang out with your friends and like learn about like Aftershock in Red, and like oh, it destroys a creature for five mana, crazy! Like that's uh, no damage involved. That's crazy! Like. Mm -hmm amazing and then you bring that around so it was very much a personal journey of discovery where now the overarching commander experience centers around information and like the 
transfer of it in regards to decks and deck lists. Uh, pretty much as soon as a card is previewed, there's people like us talking about like what the deck list is going to look like and cool things you can do with it and whatnot. So uh, that's just much different than it used to be. Yeah. And then this has kind of been an issue as more powerful and efficient cards have been introduced. There's been more pressure to sort of match your playgroup's power level. Yeah. Like back in the old days when it was very battle cruisery, like it was kind of easier to maintain the, the same approximate power level. But now I think CEDH looks very different now from regular magic. Like that gap has been widening as yeah. the, the top end of the format has gotten more efficient. It makes sense that people in the RC and other people in the community view CEDH as just like a completely separate entity when you look at the deck list and the play patterns and stuff because like it is just pushed to the nth level now in a way that it, it always was pushing that that level at some point but just the ceiling is like increased so much in the last few years that i think it's hard to ignore it now yeah it doesn't really resemble what we think of as classic commander mm-hmm. yeah definitely so those are some of the causes for for why this is happening why the format is accelerating and i want to get a couple things out of the way because we've seen some solutions proposed that aren't great or aren't very feasible yeah there's just like things or talking points that people have had that don't seem viable that don't seem like they're actually able to be executed by the community in like a meaningful way yeah so and then once we get past these we'll go into things that are maybe more likely to work yeah so number one is asking wizards to sort of ignore the profit motivation i just don't think that's going to happen they are a business they are accountable to shareholders saying, you know, Wizards is too greedy and then that's why they're creeping power. That's why every set has like all these busted cards that just completely outclass what was printed in the past. Wizards has a motivation to sell packs and I think we need to work within that framework as opposed to just telling them, oh, you're not actually a business. You should be a nonprofit providing a service to this community. Yeah, it's a very different conversation when you're trying to tell this for-profit like corporation that you can't make money doing the thing that you do because that makes my hobby worse. Like that is a true statement <laughs> <laughs> and and there's a lot to be said about it, but that's just not the reality of the situation. Like we're not going to be able to exist in a world where wizards can't make money or isn't going to try and make money so we kind of have to operate within that framework if we want to keep moving forward yeah i'd say unless you are able to buy a controlling interest in hasbro or just buy wizards wholesale from them you're not going to be able to really tell them to put something above profit another thing that is just not super feasible is restricting information about what's good there's just so many channels that people can learn about the hot new tech or like you know, what new cards in the set are going to be new staples that it's just not possible. It's, yep. it's just way too distributed. Yeah. Like uh, pretty much as soon as a card is spoiled, you have people on Twitter being like, look at this. It's going to happen. It's going to be immediate. People are going to be excited to share it. Mm-hmm. We can't stop that. Just let it happen. <laughs> let the information flow. Uh, and then another thing is um, this is not impossible but i don't think it's like a really realistic solution 
which is trusting individual groups to match power level without some kind of structure. Actually, just trusting individuals to match power level without structure. Like these days, it's a lot harder to play magic in play groups. We have a lot more like random matching online, trying to match power level across like with strangers online is a very, very difficult task. And I don't think that can be the only solution we're pursuing. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of talk about the seven, whatever. Obviously, if you listen to the show, you know how me and Nick feel about that. We don't like it. Mm-hmm. We don't like it. That is just not feasible. Like, Think about within your own playgroup that you may ha- might have right now. You probably have the guy who is kind of leading the charge, pushing that power level. And then you have the person who wants to play with their like super flavorful deck that isn't super strong, like trying to convince both of those people to like ramp up or down appropriately. Like you, you can't expect that. And putting that at, to like the millions of people that play magic just seems like an impossible task. Yeah. Without some sort of structure, it's really going to be difficult to get people to coordinate and like balance their desire to win against like what's fun in order to decelerate the format and mm-hmm, s- slow mm-hmm. things down and allow slower strategies to become viable. Yeah. I guess we'll start with some potential like solutions that relate to how magic is designed. Yes. Yeah, so th- this is specifically things that wizards could do things right now within this framework we've laid out to help basically help this problem. So yeah, do you want to get into those? Sure. And we'll try to talk about some of the downsides of these two or some of the things that make them a little less likely, a little less realistic. One potential solution that wizards can take is to prioritize reprints over new staples. So, you know, once a card exists, it's out of the bag, like Assassin's Trophy isn't going anywhere. It's just going to be here forever. But what they can do is instead of printing the next Assassin's Trophy that is, you know, now one CMC or whatever, they can just reprint assassin's trophy um use that to sell sets rather than to just kind of like continue to creep the power level and lower the average cmc of these answers and resource generators and there's i think two points to this the first is that this in some ways conflicts with their incentive to sell like the newest thing with Mm -hmm. like the newest card like the new hotness and things like that but we also see this as a practice that they're already participating in when it comes to master sets. So like we had double masters and we had a mystery booster and we had what other reprint sets? This We had so many sets this year. Mm-hmm. I can't remember all of them, but like we've had, I mean, jumpstart had some oh, reprints. Jump, jumpstart. Exactly. And a big part of selling these sets for people were these reprints. Like the fact that jumpstart had Oracle Moldiah as a reprint and like a ton of other, like really chase, like really cool reprints in it. That, is great it helped sell the set it helped player engagement i wish there's more jumpstart like uh, the rest of the world does but it, it was a good idea it and they should do it again they mm-hmm. should keep doing it so i do think this is something that they can lean on a little bit more i don't think it's completely unreasonable i don't think it completely conflicts with the uh the new hotness because you can still print some new hotness in other ways we're going to talk about without completely forgetting that mana reflection exists or something like that which kind of gets us to this next point too which is kind of in this same vein collectors versions of cards so like uh think about alternate art versions of cards or like specifically what i'm going to bring up is like the godzilla skins so like crossover versions of cards is like a great way 
for wizards to have these reprints happen and also make them exciting make them exciting and and at the same time bring over crossover audiences into magic in a way that i think players would be happy with like Mm -hmm. uh would deem like acceptable and healthy for the game one of the biggest problems that happened with like the walking dead fiasco was the model of distribution and i'm very much a proponent that the walking dead model or the walking dead cards should have been a product that you'd walk into like walmart or target you'd see it on the shelf next to the walking dead board game and people go like oh what's this and like pick it up and it was out in the world and people could get it because the way that it was released now it was there for a week people who weren't into magic but were into the walking dead learned about it a week before release so you kind of already would have had to have been galvanized maybe interested in magic somewhat before buying the cards where if you go into target every week and you see the cards there every week it might wear down on you yeah and, and you see rick up there on the shelf and go you know what maybe i'll give this a shot and then you go to the game store and all of a sudden you have someone hooked on magic uh, we could do that with this like imagine uh who's a what's a white character you could talk about like imagine you have a crossover art of like whoever from whatever john luc picard yeah like like casting swords to plowshares on <laughs> someone like with a taser i don't know like the like it could be like anything but that's kind of the point is that this would be a really good way to galvanize people to purchase reprints uh it'd be a good way to not piss off collectors because there'd be reprints with basically new skins new art um if you don't like it you don't need to play it but the cheaper version exists for people who want them and just kind of have been priced out for however long so i i I think this is a really good really viable way to get reprints into the game in an exciting way and also just like get that crossover flow because when you get more people playing magic it's just better for magic like just period yeah i i totally agree with you i think that one of the issues with like just prioritizing reprints is that you know if somebody already has their four copies of you know whatever swords to plowshares or chaos warp or whatever then they aren't going to be excited when they see it in the new set but you know if they have a cool skin on it and my favorite lasagna cat garfield is on it yeah exactly and hell yeah i'm gonna buy this even though i already have four copies yeah and and this is in some ways what secret layer has been doing but i think that we saw with the godzilla cards that they're willing to do things like this in standard legal sets and i think that's a great idea they went even a little bit further with the godzilla things or like even the commander decks had like godzilla cards in them and stuff like that like something like that that would have been a great way to get crossover engagement in a way that didn't piss people off (laughs) that didn't just like irk people and so i i am hoping that they pick up that model in the future and hey if you're a purist if you really like your thought seizes with like the original fairy art you can keep it but if you uh want hades from hercules like pulling a, a thought out of someone's brain on the cool disney crossover art like there you could get that too you know like does disney own the copyright to greek mythology (laughs) (laughs) that's true who knows i mean they own everything else they do that mouse that damn mouse but we can keep going uh because there is more things we were talking about the new hotness there's something else that wizards could do in regards to like new hotness and sets yes so moving on from just this like reprint focused options like when they do print new powerful cards they can concentrate that power in set mechanics in narrow things 
rather than just printing like the next Bedevil or yeah. Dovin's Veto or Assassin's Trophy. For example, if Morph comes back in the new Tarkir set, a really good Morph card is going to push out the worst Morph in like a Kadena deck, but it's not going to impact any other list in Commander unless the rate is like really, really insane. So the Kadena deck is going to become more efficient, but not in a way that erases its identity and the format as a whole is not really going to change at all. So what ends up happening is that you have this strategy that is narrow but fun. I don't know how many people have played a Morph deck or a Kadena deck in particular out there, but they're a blast. Mm -hmm. Like it's really great. You have a bunch of stupid tutus and every now and then one of them does something. Yeah, you have a second hand of cards that are on the board. It's great. Uh, The only downside to this is like if you're focusing your power in the set mechanic then it can make uh like say standard environments a bit more linear yeah so for example in the current standard environment wizards put a lot of power in like this rogue mill deck and so like you know wizards kind of built some of those lists for players like yeah it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot of uh of brain power to put thieves guild enforcer in the same deck as like you know soaring whatever soaring soaring sky blade or something sky, yeah like sky that. thief or something yeah sky thief it, you know it doesn't require a lot of thought but it, it does make it so that you know these cards are relatively affordable they're not seeing play in every deck in multiple formats but they are viable like within the standard environment. And, you know, if you are playing a, a rogue deck in an older format like Commander, it's a lot of cool tools for you there. If this is okay to say, I also think that um, putting a lot of different hooks on a card w- in regards to a mechanic is a good way to do it. So um, if we look at like an example from Zendikar, we had um, Felidar retreat filter retreat didn't break standard right like it's just a very good card it's like limited bomb uh i've put it in a few of my decks but it kind of covers across a bunch of different axes it has plus one plus one counters it has landfall so like the more lands you get the better it is for you but you don't have to like focus on that because you also like it gives you cat beasts so if you do have a deck that like focuses on cats or something like that like this card is very powerful and it does have a like a bunch of different intersecting segment or um valakut exploration is another good example of this it's impulse draw it's direct damage at the end of the turn it's enchantment and it's in red it's in a color that like needed something like this that's putting power somewhere in a standard specific a set mechanic in like a really positive way um so i i think that we can see set mechanics exist in positive ways that don't need to be super linear when you do put like these kind of weird axes on them Getting cards to care about weird things is going to also widen the set mechanic use over time. Because I know I'm not going to play a lot of Spitfire Legax, but like Felidar Retreat was was great. And I put that in a ton of decks. Mm-hmm. So. On the flip side of that, I think that Wizards should be careful of putting power in cards that don't require anything from you. Um, yeah, Th- this isn't just for Commander, I think. I think this is for Magic as a whole, as we've seen in uh the last few weeks yeah so for example the ramp decks that have plagued standard for the past you know year and a half or so ramp is just basically just means increasing your resources that's something that's naturally good to do in magic that's something that you want to be doing all the time so to play cards that synergize with that either they're these like high-end payoffs like ugin or things like landfall triggers that will get you more value when you're playing your land ramp spells. These are really just rewarding you for doing things that you're already doing. 
and that is more likely to lead to good stuff or, or become good stuff in Commander than a more narrow mechanic like Rogue Mill. Yeah, exactly. So like a really solid Commander mana base is going to have a whole bunch of fetches. And so if you concentrate your power in Landfall, then like it becomes very trivial to to include these cards in your deck and get the reward that they're promising you. Yeah, and and as a wider example, everyone's been talking about like Omnath, like that was kind of the point was like you didn't need to build around Omnath, you just needed to be able to cast it. And as soon as you could cast it, you just kept doing what you're doing. Anyway, you're like, "Oh, I I, w- I would like to draw some cards and I would like to to cast some more cards and draw some cards like i I would like like to make land drops yeah you're like it it really didn't change what you were trying to do so the deck ended up being basically just a pile of good cards that could win the game because it did it faster than the other good stuff decks that were around and that's what people are worried about happening in commander is like when you do get like homogenized play experiences people are more likely to uh kind of give up on the format yeah, like, and it also, especially like when those homogenized play experiences are also innately tied to the um, the affordability problem, yeah, and like the availability problem, yeah, and that that's just compounding a bunch of socioeconomic factors into yeah. the gameplay, and it's just not good. Magic is escapist, kind of at its core. It's like this fantasy card game, and uh, we want to be able to get together and play and have fun and not worry that. Oh no, I don't have $25 for my my Chase Mythic from mm-hmm. the new set or something like that. I just want to give like an even better example than Landfall from Zendikar is just these modal double-faced cards. Like oh, yeah. I I think this is a a big mistake because not only are they concentrating power in something that can fit into every deck, like uh as soon as they were spoiled, we were kind of like this green mythic modal double-faced card, would you ever not replace a basic forest in yeah. your green deck with it? And and the answer is like if you are just optimizing no, you just always put it in. Yeah. Forever, forever and ever now. And that's going to change the nature of the format, make it so that you're more likely to have gas when you need it and lands when you when you need it. And there's no deck building cost. Like all you have to have is like creatures in your green deck. And that's going to change the format, make decks more consistent, make it so that you're more likely to win by running it. But it doesn't really improve the diversity of the format. And, and of course, like it's also really difficult to reprint. Mm-hmm. Currently, just with the way printing is, is when they have these like special double face cards, it just is very difficult to, yeah. to do that. There's not a lot of opportunities for them to inject reprints of these cards back into the format. Let's say Valkyrie Awakening two years from now, it's like $15, $20 because it was only printed in the set. It's an incredible red card. It's a land when you don't need it. If you draw it late game, it gets you a new hand. Great card. Just obviously a great card. Where are they going to print this? It's just, That's just going to be such a big problem down the line. And I'm hoping that they've said they're going to have modal devil face cards and other products throughout the next year. I'm hoping that we do end up with more reprints of double face cards over time because right now um, it just seems improbable that we're going to get them in a timely manner. There's literally only been one instance of double face cards being reprinted and that's from the vault transform. 
Oh, that's it's happened. Yeah, it's happened exactly once. So good luck, everyone. If you haven't already gotten a hold of every DFC you wanted from Zendikar Rising, it's probably going to be tough to get them in the future. It's going to be a going to be a big wallet wallet oof right there. Mm -hmm. So currently in Magic Design, there is a trade off between um, the cost of a card and the power it offers. Yeah. I would also like to see wizards apply this kind of trade-off to how broadly useful something is and how efficient it is. So I think that maybe Heartless Act is, because it kind of kills anything, Yeah, maybe it should have been a little bit more expensive. And then, you know, we could have seen some super narrow type of removal spell like, you know, single black mana, destroy target creature if you control a rogue. Like yeah. that kind of thing where for a specific deck, it's very, very good, but makes it so that, okay, I do, you don't just have like another Doomblade in the format that fits into all of these decks. I think another good example of this is like Charms. So Charms, people love them. They have existed since like Tempest, I think it was the first ones. Mm-hmm. And they're great. They give you options. And the idea behind a Charm was that none of the effects was good enough to warrant a card and the mana on its own but the fact that you get the option between the three of them that is worth a card we don't really like we've gotten charm and like many choose effects in the last few years but they are ramped up in a really big way there's always at least one mode that you're always going to do exactly and i'm always going to be able to do yeah and i think that's kind of a bad sign i think that's a bad thing so um there's one thing to be said of like this is kind of like a bad draw spell and like a bad counter spell strapped on one thing like that's one thing but all of the choose effects we've gotten like most of them are honestly like one or both on all the like charm effects we've gotten and then all of them are kind of just cards that are good in the first place so like if you think about like uh sprouting renewal from ravnica it's like it's it's convoke it's two and a green with convoke and you could make a 2-2 elf uh, with vigilance, elf knight with vigilance, or you can destroy an artifact or an enchantment. If you compare that to like other choose effects from back in the day, like this is always live in your hand where like charms used to be dead at times because like uh, Rakdos charm, you don't always have like a graveyard to exile. They don't always have infinite tokens to kill them with it. Like the, Rakdos charm is bad 90% of the time, right? But mm-hmm. it's that 10% of the time that it's really good that people remember that gives them the visceral feel and I think that that's something that like we kind of should go back to in a way like this this broad range of application where like no mode is good enough like that's actually good for magic because yeah. then it, it like helps it helps games and helps players like have resources they need but not at a rate where it's like an auto include in every list. It's it's better for the game when choices are difficult. Yeah. But there's not really much of a choice when you're playing like say modal double face cards. Yeah, You know, if it's turns one through three and you're worried about missing your land drops, you play it as a land. You know, if it's a top deck in the late game, you play it as a spell. It's just versatility without actual thought. Yeah, exactly. And that's true with just a lot of the uh, choice cards we've gotten. And and to be fair, one of the reasons we've gotten a lot more choice cards in the last few years is they use it just as a way to template cleaner. So, um, for instance, like I would say drown in the lock is a good card. Uh, it's one, it's a blue and a black instant and you either counter a spell with that CMC is less than the cards in the controller's graveyard, or do you destroy a creature with CMC less than the cards in the graveyard? So like 
this obviously helps a specific strategy. It's listed as a as a modal card for cleanliness as opposed to being a charm. So I think things like that are excusable, but there's definitely just been uh, some pretty grievous uh, modal cards yeah. in the last few years. And it's largely because they, you know, they've been pushing this best of one formats. Yeah, exactly. So they want people to be able to include main deck answers to problems, which makes sense. But it's also like removing some of the choice in in deck building. Exactly. I think if they do want to do that, I think the wish cards are better for Arena and for Magic in general, honestly. Yeah. Because what happens is when you do print these like cards that are multifaceted for standard but then they like leak into commander and other things. Then all of a sudden you just have these really powerful cards over here where like if commander does keep on with its wish thing, like, and the wishes stay at like a reasonable power level, like arena gets that you get to like use that in that format. Yeah, you get, you get interaction mm -hmm. in best of one. Yeah. Without completely flooding good stuff cards into the broader magic as a whole. Mm -hmm. So, okay. We we've gone over a lot. I think we got one more big point for, card design do you want to talk about this sure and this is something that we talked about on the show a lot mm -hmm. if wizards is if they want to continue printing new powerful cards to sell new sets like i mean that is their prerogative they are trying they are a business and if they do want them to be generically good like just kind of good stuff things that answer threats efficiently or increase your resources efficiently why not those staples in colors that have historically been weaker green has like such a deep field of staples that they don't really need a yeah. lot of you know hyper efficient naturalize effects or no. hyper efficient card draw like um destroy non-creature permanent like whatever it might be yeah yeah they, they have a, a, a strong back catalog of cards for pretty much all of like the the most powerful things in their color pie but say white and red don't and so if they are going to print new cards to sell the set to to get packs into players hands why not concentrate them in white and red who have historically kind of been disenfranchised don't have nearly the same depth of field for their most powerful effects don't have as broad a swath of their color pie that's useful in commander i, I think that like skyclave apparition is a great example of you know, a new white staple when they printed the great henge and it was like coming on the heels of guardian project and beast whisperer. I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit. Oh yeah. But skyclave apparition, I have no problem printing that because it it's needed. It's not like grossly redundant in yeah. the way that, that the great henge was. There are obvious holes that people have been bringing up to wizards and I know they work far in the future. I know like they can't quite, just change something on a dime like there's a lot of people involved there's a lot of things involved but it feels like we're at this point where like these ideas have been thrown at them for so long now that if they don't start printing these staples and it, like we kind of have seen it we've seen attempts at it with like verge rangers and and uh other white staples or attempted staples they've been putting into sets but i just think this is a great way to sell cards in a way that they're already doing without impacting the rest of the format because i'm really tired of hearing people complain about green yeah i'm really tired i know and we all know guys we all know <laughs> we all we see it too it's okay mm -hmm. we'll all be okay but yeah, yeah i I'm, i would love to complain about 
white for a while or, or you know yes. have white be the boogeyman that's yeah. never happened before yeah never once uh man uh unless it was armageddon which wasn't a boogeyman it was just kind of like like your uh sibling like knocked your ice cream out of your hand and you're like hey i think that was last in standard in like sixth edition yeah <laughs> it's been a very long time so these are things that we think wizards could do that they don't specifically get in the way of them making money. There are things that we think the community would broadly accept. But what can you do right now, right? We, we mentioned at the be- beginning of all of this, there are some things that we can't expect everyone to do, but there are some things that we as players could do. And these uh, are very much going to be experiments. These are going to be things that I'm going to say right now, me, Zach, I'm asking you to give this a shot. Uh, talk to your friends on spell table or in your discords or wherever see if you can give these things a shot see how they go for you people have been talking about the commander sealed leagues a lot and how much fun they are because they let you play with bad cards the format slows down all of a sudden and you have to play like a five five death touch for six like stuff like that happens so what we're not going to say is to just build a bad deck or like to hamper yourself for no reason but we do have some ideas as to what you could try to just decelerate the format, like we said at the top. Yeah, like I am somebody who likes to optimize. Yes. Um, and so it's difficult to ask me like, hey, Nick, you know, slow down your deck. It's getting too good. Uh, we want everyone yeah. to be on kind of on the same level. But I, what we're going to offer here are some ideas for constraints that like if you place these on yourselves, you can give yourself permission to optimize within that space and the one i like the most is uh banning everything in the the top cards in each color on edh rec Mm -hmm. so if you go to edh rec and just click on cards and then by color uh, you can see a list of the top cards in each color and if you just like you know make a cutoff point maybe the top 50 cards on that list the top 20 cards on that list talk with your playgroup and decide nobody's allowed to play these that's going to drastically reduce like the efficiency because like among these top cards you're going to see like number one white card swords to plowshares number three white card path to exile if you cut these these top cards out of the format it's going to slow things way down you're going to have to look to more obscure cards less efficient Mm -hmm. answers and it's going to bring back a lot of that battle cruiser feel Yes, and, and it's a pretty easy way and a lot more manageable than trying to figure out your playgroup's like own personalized ban list. It's just a website that everyone has access to that doesn't change very frequently, especially if you're looking at like the top ten or twenty cards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and it'll really allow you to get some of that old school commander feel. I think this is a great solution, and I do have friends who do this right now. Maybe not to the extreme but uh we just we have friends that just refuse to play soul ring or they refuse to uh play cyclonic rift or whatever heinous cards or or cards they feel are too uh unfun or heinous in order to make the game more fun for everyone and i've done this before too i I had a white black deck um that ran pox and just really disgusting things and i had to take a look at it and go how can i make this more fun to play with so still has hatred in it but uh you're at least going to keep all your lands and stuff like that and hatred at least is a five mana card and a white black deck so you gotta gotta wait a little bit yeah you know what i'm I'm making a decision here i'm gonna try this oh yeah i'm gonna try swapping over some of my decks and just removing 
the most popular cards in each color from on EDH rec from those lists. And uh, I'll give it a couple months or something and then just report back and see like how I think it affected gameplay yeah. for me. No, that's great. I love that. One downside of this approach of like cutting out the top cards is it has a disproportionate impact on colors with a more shallow field of staples, I would say. So for example, if you cut off the top, you know, top 10 blue cards or whatever, yeah, you'll lo- you will lose counterspell, you will lose arcane denial and negate and swan song, but there's still many other efficient counterspells that you can put in your deck. If you cut out the top 10 white cards, you lose swords to plowshares, path to exile and generous gift. And it's like, name the fourth best white instant speed removal spell. Like, you don't have that depth of field. So some colors that have been disproportionately... Uh, Shafted over the years. Yeah. Yes. Are going to have a harder time of it. But honestly, I think that's... I think it's also still kind of fine, too. Because, like, being forced to look at weird uh, weird existing cards, is that's part of the fun, too. So let's say you don't really want to have these conversations with your friends, but you do want to slow the format down. This is something that isn't an everyday kind of thing, but it's something you can look forward to and something you could talk to your friends about because it gets people brewing and it gets people excited to play. Uh, You could do theme nights. So theme nights could be anything from like a flavor deck. So everyone has to bring uh, so-and-so's like court to the ball or something like that so like Rafik brings like his like knightly men and like una brings her like her fairy court over and and what ends up happening is that uh it kind of when you're picking for flavor over optimization it, you end up with these funny board states and it does feel a lot more like uh magic circa 2012 2011 or commander circa 2012 2011 uh you could also do things we have a friend who has joked about a format called heavy hitters, which is just like, uh, I can't remember the, what the actual joke of the format was, but it was like a 200 card deck, like only seven drops and higher, like just really funny, mm-hmm. but you could do something like that. You could be like, okay, uh, we're going to do like a heavy hit night. So there has to be at least 20 cards in your deck that are five mana or more, or you could ramp it up. There has to be 20 cards in your deck that are like six mana, seven mana or more. Give that a shot. And what you're going to find is that when people bring these things to the table, it's a lot of fun. And it does kind of like force people to build differently where, where talismans are really good when you're trying to get to four mana on turn three. They're not very good when you're trying to get to like seven mana on turn like five or six or something like that. Like, like it's actually a little bit better to play three mana rocks that make two like palladium or and stuff like that when you're trying to get to these like bigger things. So the ramp looks different. The top end looks different. You're going to end up with the play experience that is probably different than what you're playing right now. So I would I would recommend doing things like this. Uh, the con against this is that this is better for people with larger collections. So if you are someone like me who just has a wide swath of magic cards to pick from, I can go into my collection and just be like, oh, what am I going to put in here today? But if you're someone who maybe builds to the deck, maybe someone with not like a lot of free cash on hand and not a big collection, it can be a little bit more of a chore. So that is one of the downsides to this. And then also like some people don't like building a deck. They're only going to play like once or twice. So that's another downside. But me, Zach, asking you to do this, I think you'll have a blast. I think your friends will have a blast and uh, definitely try to do some theme nights sometime. They're really cool. So there's one last thing. So theme nights are fun, but there's one last point I want to make. It's very, very quick. Uh, you can just put, put constraints on your playgroup. I know a lot of playgroups that already do this specifically. Uh, the most common one is like, you can't play Soul Ring turn one or two. 
that's a really easy house rule. You can just say it before you start playing. No one has to change their deck. Uh, but you could be like, no soaring turn one or two. You can't cast a certain card late in the game. Like Whatever your playgroup thinks will be most effective for a positive play experience for you all is probably a fine house rule to to throw out there. And I will get back to everybody about like some more common ones I can find. Mm-hmm. But this is a really easy way to just like before the game starts, be like, okay, you don't need to change your deck, but you can't play this until this turn. And then everyone goes, okay. Or like, okay, you can't play your commander until turn five or something like that. Like whatever it might be that, cause all of a sudden Thrasios and Timna has to wait a little bit longer and everyone else can kind of catch up a little bit. They have to use the cards in their hand instead of just value out a little bit more. So stuff like that. Um, give that a shot. It, does not feel as bad as you think it does because you still end up playing with the really powerful cards. You still get to play Commander. Where the other things we've been talking about here have like deck building constraints, this is more of a like social constraint. So give this a shot or too. A gameplay constraint. Yeah, a gameplay constraint. So those are our solutions. This is the problem that we've gotten to. How do we want to go out on this? Because like obviously, like we understand that the solutions we are posing are not perfect. Uh, these are ideas that we had, and a big part of this is because this is such a big problem i use problem kind of loosely here because i'm not gonna stop playing commander i still have fun playing commander if nothing changes and the format keeps speeding up i'm probably still gonna play commander um but i do think it's reasonable to look at this and assess what's going on but obviously we're not solving this problem with this podcast like this one episode of this podcast so yeah i i um totally agree i don't think we've any of these solutions are perfect. I think that they are things that, you know, maybe wizards can look to implement or players can try in their own play group. But this is just a very thorny problem and several of the key stakeholders aren't really incentivized to solve it. Yes. But I, I hope that this can be a jumping off point for more discussion, especially because I think it's important to really highlight the non-starter nature of just like, I don't think you're going to get wizards to put things ahead of the profit motive. So, but I I hope that we've sort of maybe highlighted some other areas where progress could be made, where changes could be made to address this issue and kind of alleviate it. But we'll see how things go. Honestly, there's one option that we haven't really discussed so far. Yeah. Which is, and I, I, I don't say this like, I'm not trying to be heretical here. Yeah. But, you know, as modern accelerated, Wizards implemented Pioneer and Historic, I think it's useful for there to be more cut points in like where people can jump in because the older a format gets, the bigger it gets. I think these trends are kind of inevitable to some degree. And I think that it makes sense to find cut points where people can get a little bit more of that haymakery old school feel because of their card pool is more limited or whatever. And I think currently the best candidate for that is Historic Brawl on Arena. Like it is commander gameplay. You have a commander, you play out of the command zone. It's singleton. It's in a format that's really accessible to a lot of people. It avoids the issues of like, well, you don't have to get five copies of Fierce Guardianship for all your blue decks. You just need one copy of whatever card it is you're trying to get. So it's, it's more affordable easy to match make it has a lot of variety of gameplay even within that smaller card pool Mm -hmm. yeah which actually has been amazing to me yeah and i think that just giving that option to players who like feel priced out of commander or feel like the things they want to do have been pushed out of commander just because of the because of how it's accelerated well 
you can go to a historic brawl and there's not going to be like the same amount of crazy mana acceleration or hyper efficient answers or any of these things. Yeah, I think that's fair to say, though. I, I think people fear when they see new formats or when they f- see change. One of the benefits to Commander is that it's an eternal format. But um, Hey, so is Historic Brawl. Yeah, exactly. So is Historic Brawl. Just want to reiterate, like, Magic isn't just one game. I do know people who only play Commander, but they mostly also play Limited, too. You know, like, I have friends who play, like, Legacy and Modern and Commander or Standard and Modern Usually, if you play Magic, you play Magic. You play multiple ways to play Magic. Mm-hmm. So I don't think keeping one of your 12 decks as a Commander 2.0 in the future is is too big of an ask for people, assuming something like this ever happens. I mean, obviously, we have Historic Brawl in digital form on Arena. In the same way, I don't think Brawl will take off in paper. I don't know if that will take off in paper, but I love that it exists. I love that I can think about it and brew it and play with it. So I think that kind of brings us to the end of this for now. I mean, we have thought a lot about this. Uh, We want the conversation to continue. So please like tag us on Twitter, send us messages, let us know your thoughts. This is something that kind of affects us all. And it would be great to hear about what you all are uh, thinking about it. It's a bigger issue than just two people to solve and it, I, I do think that if two people could have solved it it would have just been done by now mm-hmm. so yeah what? but we are excited to hear your ideas and so please share them with us mm-hmm. or put like if there are holes in ours or things or, or different things or honestly if you want to tell me themes for theme night please please give me some themes for theme night um anything so just give us a shout out and uh yeah we'll we'll keep this discussion going all right. With that, I want to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Bradley, Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Tom, The White Clays, Aubrey, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Logan, Roger, David, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jason, Kyle, Jerry, Brandon, Eamon, Kevin, Kaidel, and Jeremy. Thank you all for supporting the show. It's because of you that we're able to keep the lights on here in the studio. And if you're not currently a Patreon patron but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commandertheory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at Commander Theory on Twitter and Tumblr, and Zach is at Fat Bartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check them out on SoundCloud. Until next time, we're going back to the drawing board.